0: everyone and welcome to the podcast tonight we're going to talk about um motivation and um our top our top our official title for our topic is action precedes uh motivation and what that means is that um you are motivated by doing um so the more you do something the more you you will be motivated to do it and i've been practicing this since when did we start december i think like the 20th or the 21st Every single day since the twenty-first of December, as um, I did keep track of, I did keep track of those numbers, but they're gone now. But I will say that between the first ten days of the year, including today, my total written word count is twenty-seven thousand seven hundred and two words. Wow. And that's, and that's in the first 10 days of January and that is by sitting my butt down and writing you just gotta do it I just gotta do it w- even when uh, I I've set up a schedule for myself where okay this is my writing time we talked about before about being protective of your writing time and um taking it very seriously and um, I've been doing that. I've been, this is my writing time. This is what I'm doing right now. Um, everything else needs to be quiet. Oh, and you know, and, and it's really working for me. Now my goal every day is a thousand words, but yesterday I did 7K. Because I had given myself um, an hour to write. But then I couldn't really think of anything else I wanted to do at the moment, and I'd answered all my emails and done all my work stuff, and I had a couple of hours to spare, and I was, you know, making a Sunday sauce, uh, so for, for dinner. So that takes six or seven hours. Um, so it was, it was on the um, that's a basically it's a marinara sauce well no I no I did this but it's a meat sauce it's a spaghetti meat sauce um I'll get you a recipe in a minute Jenny um but um I was doing a Sunday sauce and I was set that for about six hours and so I put all that together and then I'm like okay now what now what am I gonna do? So I wrote Oh you can do a you can do a a vegetarian version absolutely um but uh so I wrote and then I was in the sprints, and I was like, "I'll co- I'll come sprint with you guys." And at that point, I was already over six k, and so I did two more sprints. Okay, I said, "Yeah, no, I'm ridiculous. I'm gonna go <laughs> go rest my brain before I mush right." Mm-hmm. And so I added up all my words: seven k, ridiculousness. Yeah, I've had. I mean, five k feels like a. A very productive but comfortable day for me. Seven K starts to feel like it's pushing it. I think the most I've ever written in a day, single day, is close to 15 K. And I felt blind and brain dead by the end of it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it was just, I just was completely shorted out. And I didn't want to write for days afterwards. I mean, like, I wouldn't go near it. So I don't actually advise that um, ever pushing yourself that hard because I think it's counter to productivity when you give a day where you burn yourself out. I didn't write at all in one big lump, though. And I think that actually is um, very helpful. That's why that, I think that's why the sprints are so productive, is that we get breaks. You know, physical and mental breaks, you know, in the sprinting. Although, really, honestly, for me, personally, I am much better at a 40-20 than I am a 20-10, as far as sprints go. Um. I actually feel like my most productive so far, I've done it on my own a few times, is 30-15. Really? Just because I feel like it's a hard, it's a hard rhythm to do with other people, though, um, because there's no, like, you know, consistent time that the sprints start and stop. But I feel like, you know, 30 minutes is I'm hitting a really productive zone, and it can even stretch on a little bit long. But when I go that long, I need a little bit longer break. But sometimes the 20 is like... um... I'm just getting into a really good groove. And then the timer goes off. I'm like, fuck me. (laughs) Get up, move my feet. (laughs) But because I was doing that sauce, I would get up periodically, check the liquid content on it. Um, So, and then, you know, i walk my dog. And so, I, I wrote 7K over the period of the day. But it wasn't like I was consistently out, you know, sitting down for more than 30 minutes at a time. Yeah. So, I was probably doing a 30 on and 30 off most of the day and that can be really productive and because I have more. a zero draft you can pick right back up where you were right We don't have a podcast on um, sprinting no we could do one talk about what it what it's like and what you should be you know the different models of sprinting and what we've tried and what we think works and what doesn't It'd be a short podcast. <laughs> But I think everybody who ba- who really, and we'd have to get some, you know, just anecdotally from people I've spoken with, um, I think that sprinting has been a real boon to people's productivity, their writing productivity last year for the people who really got into it. Um, and even sometimes for people who didn't do it all year, but like they wanted to finish a particular story and they would come in and, and sprint, you know, every day or every other day or whatever until they got that story done and they got, and they got done um so I think for everybody who tried it it was it was it was beneficial in some way but some people it's become their main writing model you know where they they write in sprints so that's certainly my main writing model for me um it, it has there was a time when I was younger when I was like okay I'm gonna have a writing day I'm gonna write 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 right and the pressure was so extreme that i would burn myself out mm-hmm Regularly, and um the the, and I didn't I'd tried sprinting before mostly in um in um ride ins for uh, nano and I found them very frustrating. I agree. I agree. But I find the ride in model frustrating anyway because they're never productive. They're mostly a social hour, which I understand because writing is a very solitary pursuit. But don't call it a write-in. <laughs> I find that it, uh, the write-ins I've tried want up being more social. Um, I think the exception would be is if, if, if you're a local, whoever your local writing group is, if they do their write-ins at a library, they're there to throw down so if you want to sit and write with a group of people and you're all doing the same thing it's like you're all operating independently on the same ship and then you have got to write in a library go because it like write-ins at libraries are not social hour those people are there to work but write-ins at a coffee shop you're fucked you are not going to get anything done back of a restaurant is hit or miss for me as whether or not those are productive I think a library, um, the, the library write-ins are always more productive because those people are, (laughs) that's like a boot camp. (laughs) You gotta be, you gotta bring your A game (laughs) when you go to the library to write. Um, I did put a link for the Sunday sauce in the podcast, um, link library. That's the vegan version. Um, it's very similar to the version that I, I actually make, but I put meat in mine. Um, Usually, uh, an Italian sausage, but sometimes a ground turkey as well, or a ground turkey instead of a ground beef, because if I want to make it a little bit lighter. um, But I would also, if I was doing a vegan version of a Sunday sauce, I would probably add mushrooms to it near the end, personally. I mean, you know, I wouldn't add them in the beginning because they would be nothing but they would disintegrate for six hours so um if so if you're going to add mushrooms do it you know later um and i think you could probably also use tofu um but i would look for a recipe on that to see how you would handle the tofu i don't actually eat mushrooms myself but my husband does and so i often cook with them i mean i'm telling you right now that if you tried that recipe you could not add mushrooms at the beginning of that recipe for six hours because you would they would disintegrate (laughs) so anyways okay so i i have not had let's see In the time since we started i did miss one day in december i don't remember what was going on with the one day in december something was going on though. oh it was probably prepping for the holidays because it was pre-holidays day um and the the first day i missed completely and i haven't hit my goal every day because it's you know it's kind of crazy with a lot of guests around the house but i did hit I did write every day until yesterday. And yesterday my mom was in the hospital most of the day. So it wound up being a very off day. Um, and then by the time I went to bed last night, you know, it was just like I could have because one night, one day when I another chaotic day, I did just lay in bed and bang out, you know, a couple pages handwritten, which is not the way I usually write, but I really wanted to get some writing in that day because I felt really good about writing every day and how it had gone and the fact that i had let myself you know sometimes write less than my goal which is a thousand words um but yesterday i was just like you know this day no it's just not it's just not the right day and i was i was okay with it because i did feel like it was it was a choice i made not to not to lay in bed last night and write. so um but then I, I think got you need to give yourself permission to say, okay, this is everything is really shit right now. It's really um but also to say, okay, tomorrow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this thing, you know? Yeah. So um, I mean, I gave I did know one of the things I've noticed is with, with all the people here that one of the best times of the day for me to write is a time that's almost like it's it's counter to my whole nature is to get up early in the morning and write. So I did because I missed yesterday and I gave myself permission to just deal with what was going on yesterday with my mom and stuff. Um, I got up this morning and I got up and the first thing I did was write. Well, I'll brush my teeth first, but aside from that, (laughs) I sat down at the computer while everybody else was still sleeping and I started writing. Um, And actually today wound up being the most productive writing day I've had all year. But um, People often ask, you know, I'm trying. Look, you know, and I'm not, I'm not dissing anybody, okay. So when I say this, I'm not like giving you a hard time. But people repeat what they've heard other people say, which is that they're trying to find their motivation, or they're trying to, they're joining a group to, to find their motivation to write. Or and the thing is, it's a myth motivation is a myth, right? That that what, what that what thing that people are talking about. Because if you're motivated to go look for, for motivation, you've already found what you need. You want to write. You just have to sit down and do it. And the more you do it, the more you're going to want to sit down and do it. And that's why this, you know, it sounds trite, but it really isn't. Action precedes motivation. You have to start doing it in order to find your motivation to keep doing it. And it, it's not, you know, writing's not unique in that way. Um, no, the quit the, the easiest way to get me to actually clean my kitchen is to start cleaning the kitchen. Because <laughs> once you once you start, you want to finish. Oh, I'm not saying that groups can't help with finding uh, continuing keeping your motivation going because they can. It's def- definitely there have been days that just everybody in our daily writing group posting that they wrote that day has been like, you know what? And I know that some of these people are going through the wars too and they got up and write, wrote anyway. And there are people that I know have physical issues that make it hard for them to write, and they're writing anyway. And and sometimes that does help motivate me, help encourage me to get up and do it too. So it can be a source of motivation, but it is not going to be the thing that initially gets you to sit down and do it. You just have to do it. And it doesn't matter what it is, right? Whether it's cleaning your kitchen or... Um, you know, doing your laundry. I mean, you got to get started. So you got to get started and trying to find some external source for that. Just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work with changing the way you eat. It doesn't change with getting more exercise. It doesn't work with, you just, you know, I remember, I don't remember where I read it, but you know, when they had that, I would say the nineties were huge for diet crazes, right? And there were so many books, not that this isn't still the truth, true, but it felt like the nineties really stood out in my mind as being the decade of the insane diets, right? Like everybody had a crazy diet. Everybody was teaching and there's all these self-help books about how to find the motivation to, to change the way you eat. And it's like, you got the motivation to go to a bookstore because at that time, you know, you were going to a bookstore. You got the motivation to get your car and go to a bookstore to get a book about finding the motivation to eat better. You've already got the motivation. You want to do it. So. I'm not saying you should eat cabbage soup. <laughs> but, you know. Yes, yeah, exactly the cabbage. Oh, a well, good cabbage, cabbage soup, right? soup is is pretty nice, but I wouldn't want to make a diet of it. Cabbage soup. Actually, the soup I that make- the re- the soup that we tried wasn't actually that bad, but it shouldn't be the only thing you eat, right? I I make a really good cabbage soup with um uh um cabbage, kielbasa sausage. There, trust me. Yeah. There was no, there was no meat in this in that cabbage soup and, diet, and some shredded cabbage. Yeah, yeah. But of course, my favorite thing on earth is probably, without a doubt. I mean, I would act if if you offered me a bowl of ice cream and you offered me a bowl of Bubby's sauerkraut, I would take the sauerkraut. <laughs> mm, I take the ice cream. But, <laughs> this, but it this, has it, to be Bubby's. It has to be that specific <laughs> one cuz the thing about the thing about motivation is that the myth of it is is that you can find it, right? Um, you you can find it in a book or you can find it in a chat room. I mean, no, you it it's just something that you sit down and do it and you'll be motivated to do it again and again and again. Somebody described that motivation is like a muscle. It is. So basically you're saying that motivation can't be found, it has to be built. Yeah, basically. And and when you're looking, I feel like sometimes what I hear people say, not everybody, when I hear people say, I'm trying to find my motivation to write, is that they're trying to find a magic bullet to solve the the issues around writing for them. That if they can just get motivated enough, they'll get past the stumbling blocks in their story or the fact that maybe they don't like the story they're writing on or just there's a lot of times there's a lot of obstacles that people are struggling with and they attribute it to lack of motivation or sometimes a flip side of that as we'll call it their muse has gone on vacation or something. Um, I actually prefer the motivation myth of motivation than the muse thing, but whatever. Um, I want to kick your muse's ass. That's what's going to happen (laughs) right But the idea that For you're going to see fly- somebody say, I just want to punch them. <laughs> it's terrible. But, um, sometimes I do think that motivation and inspiration are confused. Um, because sometimes people are, they're sitting there at their computer and they're going, I'm not motivated. Well, what is it that you want to write? <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. That could be that they're actually talking about that. I don't have anything that's particularly inspiring them. Um, but the thing about inspiration and creativity is that you can't use it up. And the more you, the more creative you are, the more creative you will be. Right. I think sometimes people sit down and they want that. They, they're they not going to start till they have some giant, great, big idea that just lands on their brain fully formed. But the, the, like Kira said, the more you do, the more creative you are. So if you're not feeling particularly creative or you don't feel particularly inspired, bang out something you're not inspired by that's part of the action part of it is you have to do you have to start somewhere and maybe you write a thousand word story for a prompt that maybe you weren't super jazzed about maybe you are jazzed about it by the end and the more you do that the more ideas you have for longer stories i mean it's just i think that people don't consider that that creativity just kind of it needs to be fed it needs to be used or it you know I think the well can feel drive when it's not. It's just because you're not going to it. And we talked about earlier about writing writing groups. and I think this is actually where a writer a writing group or um, is really beneficial, whether it's online or in, or in meet space, because um, there's honestly nothing more inspiring um, than, uh, than another writer. Being able to engage with another writer and have um, a discussion about ideas and concepts and themes and explore a question um, related to a, like your, your writing is there's nothing better. Yeah, nothing. Now, with everything that's positive, there's a negative too. And I find that writing spaces can be incredibly inspiring and it can be something that helps bolster your motivation when you're flagging, right? When you just, when you're exhausted and, and you're like, I really want to, but I just, and then you've got these people who are on that path with you and it can help help you build your motivation. So it can be this real force for good, but it can also flip itself and it can become the opposite. It can become a place for you to make excuses and for people to validate your excuses. That's one of the most damaging things I see people, cycle people get into is they start posting about all the reasons why they're not writing. And then if people start chiming in about, well, that's okay, I wouldn't write either. And 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 that's it's not that that's bad to say that this is like me talking about, me mentioning that I was at the hospital with my mom a good chunk of yesterday, right? It's not that there's that's a problem with that, right? And I talked to my friends about that. But what if everybody, instead of writing, let's say in a group of 30 people, and everybody is instead of talking about their writing, they're talking about the reasons they're not writing. It starts to snowball. So you have to be careful that if you're in a, in a group that's becoming a... Maybe you don't think of it that way, but maybe on some level, like emotionally, you kind of dread it because instead of it being a force for you positively you start to feel like you never get anything done when you go to that group it could be because you're you know you're processing these cues and the cues your brain is getting from the group is don't write don't write here's the reasons not to write and everybody patting you on the head and telling you it's okay because and the thing is it doesn't need to be said because of course it's okay not to write that's obvious But you don't go to a writer's group to get validation for your reasons not to write. Go to your friends for that. Was that harsh? I have to say that no. Because I actually sometimes am tempted to say, Okay, you've given me 25,000 reasons why you can't write. Give me one reason why you can. Just one. And if you can't give me one reason why you can write, I don't actually want to talk to you about writing. Was that harsh? No. Because I don't want to be around somebody who um, invests themselves in excuses for not writing. Because they're not going to be um, a productive part of my process. Which might sound selfish, but you don't join social groups for selfless giving reasons. You join social groups to get something out of it. Right. You you join to get your needs met and part of getting your needs met is helping meet other people's needs. And But what happens sometimes in these groups is you, your needs start to come in clash. It's like, I need to write. I need people who will support my need to write. But what I've got is 29 people who are validating each other's reasons not to write. And even if you don't process it logically that way, your brain is processing that. Because you're sitting there every day going on the excuse train. And so, your brain is actually saying, don't write, don't write, don't write. Because that's the cues you're feeding it. It's very toxic. Yeah. So, one of the things we did in our um, daily writing group is you we know, decided that we only wanted productive people in the group. So, if their people are not reporting with their time um, spent writing with our, their word count, um, we don't need you in there. Because you're not, um, you're not feeding our momentum. All right, and it doesn't mean yes. It's a daily writing group, but n- nobody, nobody's going to write 366 days this year. It's just not going to happen, except maybe Becca. <laughs> that girl's I was well, that girl's a beast. Um, yeah, we all we all went there. Um, maybe. I mean, I would want to put that on her because that's pressure. But you know, if any, if any one of us could write 366 days this year, it'd be her. Um, but. And nobody's going to write every day I and mean, there's reasons why and the thing is it's fine because the thing is you don't have to write the point of the group is we want to write and and when we talk about the things that as opposed to you know talking about the reasons we didn't write is it's the dis- conversation is more around obstacle the obstacles that get in the way like one of my big obstacles I've been trying to deal with is that I'm not such a pretty princess about my space that I have to have everything perfect to write because I can write in a coffee shop unless there's clown socks present or an out-of-tune Right? Guitar. I mean, cloud socks. Cloud socks, right? I, so I kept in a coffee shop, but there's something very different about being in a coffee shop where you are tuning out literally everyone versus being in your own space, in your own home, and things are not the way you're used to them being. And, um, you know, it's just different. And so I had all these little obstacles, and every time i turn around, I would think I had, I had solved an obstacle, and I'd find a new one. So... But it was very much a problem solving mode for me. It's like, okay, well, that didn't work. I, I wrote for two hours and I managed 200 words. So trying something else. Um, I kept trying and I kept trying to push through those obstacles as opposed to these are my excuses for why I didn't write. And it is about giving yourself a different mentality. It's like, what can I do to make this better? As opposed to what can't I do is what can I do? And when you, you change the conversation away from. I heard a little technical sound and then she was gone. So. <laughs> but, you know, I can get kind of wrapped around the axle myself if my writing space isn't the way I want it to be the way it normally is. Um, and I have a place. I have a table in my, in the cafe where I go that I would like to put my name on so people won't sit in it. Because, like, if I go in there and someone's sitting at my table. I have no idea what that was. I just try to wait patiently for them to leave my table. And sometimes I'll sit in the chair near my table and stare at my table and kind of pine for it. Because it's my table and nobody else should be sitting at it. So I get it. <laughs> they should not be at your table. <laughs> it's just so rude. <laughs> Sorry, I dropped, but I have no idea what the last one i heard. Um... I I do have a preferred table at at the coffee shop, too. Um, But mostly it's around the fact that there's one table that never lets the sun get in my eyes. Well, my table's by the fireplace. It's got, you know, a good, comfortable chair. And, yes, the chairs are all a little bit different because it's a mom-and-pop place. And it kind of, like, leans into that eclectic thing. Um And it's like, that. that's the good chair. (laughs) Because there can be bad chairs. You know, (laughs) the kind that make you want to rip your spine out after 10 minutes. So, but yeah. You You were talking about your home environment not being exactly what it should be for writing right now. Well, I'm used to, I mean, like, my sister can nap, you know, my sister can move around me and do stuff and... I can write, as long as she doesn't directly talk to me, I can write, no problem, I'm used to that, like, we share, we share space, we live together, but, you know, when you're sitting there writing, and you got your headphones on, and someone is touching something that should not be touched, you, it's like, why are you touching that, and it's like, you're just distracted, because out of the corner of your eye, it's like, why are you touching that, what are you doing with that, that is not the way that works, or, you know, just something else that's horrifying, it's like, why did you just unplug me? I don't understand. Well, I need to charge my thing. You need to charge your thing. There's a power strip right there next to your chair. Why are you over here unplugging my laptop? Oh, I didn't see the power strip next to my chair. It's like, really? <laughs> I was trying not or, to bother you, know, you. that asshole that you live with comes in to tell you he sent you an email. Or that I sent you an email. My husband will text me to tell me he sent me an email. If he's at work. Texting you to send tell you he sent you an email is better actually than coming into the room and telling you he sent you an email. I mean, like one day I hope he figures out how email works. The only time I text somebody to tell them I send them an email was if there's something urgent that they've been waiting for. It's like the email is on its way. <laughs> the email is coming. With the flight information for the for the flight that you need to be on in two hours, you know. <laughs> But this man sends me links to CNN, and then will text me. <laughs> Why didn't he just text you the link to CNN? <laughs> Why do you please stop? I hope he isn't that person that goes to his coworkers and tells them, I sent you an email. He probably is. If he doesn't, just, he, he has to. People who have that kind of deep, deeply ingrained habit, they do it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe my husband's that guy. <laughs> He's that guy. <laughs> <sighs> but it. we talked on another podcast about how it's important not to let yourself get so wrapped up in having to have your environment perfect in order to write because it can be very difficult to ensure that perfection. Um, but there's some things it's just like, you know, you learn, like, I cannot deal with that. Like, I cannot deal with, you know, this really weird kids program the upstairs neighbors watch on occasion very loudly it's like what are they doing up there there's no children up there (laughs) (laughs) there's just some things you can't block out um so when you have the, but when you have those obstacles whatever they are it's like if, if your kids drive you crazy or um your animals or whatever, they, they really get in the way of you writing. Honestly, if my if I had animals, because I mean, you know, if I had animals and they were in the way of me writing, I'd close the door, put the animals in the other room, but that's me. Um but you've got a way to de- figure out a way to deal with that. And if you don't want to, you know, get your animals off your computer, you're gonna come up with another solution. Cause I do, I mean I, I know quite a few people like more more than it can count on two hands, who if their animal lays across their keyboard, they will stop writing. The writing is over because their animal has co- co-opted their their laptop. Okay, I mean, uh, I wouldn't bottom to my cat, folks, but you do you, boo. <laughs> when my little when my little dog was little, um. I I trained him by accident because he was he was a rescue and he was very small. He only weighed five pounds when I got him, and he was he was underweight, undersized. and um, was in very bad shape. My in fact, my vet told me he might live to be a year old, so I shouldn't get attached. I was like, oh well, it's too late for that. Um, he recently celebrated his fourteenth birthday, by the way. Um, anyways, so I had this little puppy. Um, he was three months old and, um, I carried him around. And then when, um, I would put him down and tell him what I was going to do and I would put him on his bed and I was like, okay, I'm going to write and I'd put him on the bed. And now when I tell him I'm going to write, he will go get in his bed. <laughs> <laughs> and also when I say, okay, it's time for bed, he will go get in the bed. Cause I talked to him because I was like it, if he's not going to be here very long, then I want to, um, you, know, in, you know, interact with him and, you know, give him a good whatever long he's got, you know. And so I was just like, I was treating him like a baby, I guess, uh, <laughs> you know? or like a little kid. You know? I talk to him all the time and he learned these verbal cues. And even now, like if I tell him that I'm going to write, he will go get in his bed. <laughs> he did get a hell of a meal in fact I, that's when I realized that he was going to be okay because at six months he stole my lobster right off my plate that's a cheeky puppy he took your lobster 12 ounces of, 12 ounces of lobster tail wow So it's the- been a decade y'all and I'm still upset about it <laughs> No, it didn't make him sick. He ate the hell out of it. But when it comes, the funny thing is when it comes to whatever obstacles you have, you have to be willing to deal with the obstacle. Cause if you're not willing to deal with it, there's just no point in telling people you have the obstacle. Right. I don't understand that. So I think it was about a year ago. Um there, actually more recently. I want to say like six months ago, I was talking to somebody who she's texted me. It's a friend. She's texted me. And, she told me her cat was under her chair, and she so she says oh, I was going to go do this thing, but I can't because my cat's under my chair. And I said, "Is there supposed to be a logical connection between those things?" She goes, "Well, if I put the you know get up, it's going to it's going to squish the cat." I said, "Oh, okay, you can't call the cat out of there." And she says, "Well, I'd have to get I can you know I," I said, "Well, why don't you get your husband to get the cat out from the other chair?" She goes, "Oh, well, we don't like to disturb her. You don't are you like, fucking serious? You don't like to disturb her." If she calls up and crawls up in your engine block or something, and you guys need to go to the doctor, you're just going to miss your doctor's appointment. I mean, this is ridiculous, right? So anyway, so I've had these bizarre conversations with people. So that was about a year ago. I was talking with somebody about, you know, the reason they hadn't got any writing done, and they were trying to figure out how to solve this problem around their cat laying across their laptop. And I said, move the cat. And she said, she said, well, she won't stop. I said, why don't you just move her? She said, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't like to try to make her do things. Well, she's making you do stuff. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't an obstacle you can solve. When you present something like that, where you have a subordinate relationship with your cat, um, <laughs> and you are unwilling to change anything, it's not an ob- you're not presenting an obstacle you want help solving. You're just... Actually, I felt like what I was hearing was an excuse not to write, right? And one she was deeply emotionally attached to was... Well, it's like, well, she clearly, she wants something from me if she's laying on the, on the, on the laptop. I said, yeah, yeah, she's bossing you around. She doesn't have your undivided attention and she's letting you know she doesn't appreciate it. So go. And that serve you're an asshole. <laughs> go, go do your petting duty or something. So she'll get off your keyboard if, you know, if that's what you need to do. But I mean, it's just, I'm not that was just illustrative of the kinds of things. It's, it seems ridiculous, but I, I've heard this many times from many different people. It's, it, people present it as an obstacle when it's not, because that is an easily solvable thing. Your animal jumps on your laptop, you pick up your animal, you put the animal back on the floor, or on the couch or whatever. That is an easy problem to solve, but people don't want to. And often I hear people present problems that are have easy solutions to them, and I can only assume that the reason they're not, you know, implementing these easy solutions is because they don't fundamentally want to. But they're just looking for an excuse not to do whatever they need to be doing. Um, and this animal has provided that excuse. Right. And, or, and sometimes they're looking for people to validate them for not writing. It's like, and I, am not, I'm not going to validate anybody for not writing because it's not a requirement. It's not a requirement. It, it's not mandatory for life, right? It's not like getting up and feeding yourself. You don't have to write. If you don't have the desire to, I don't want to hear about it. Now, my- know, More and more, I'm at the point where I want to start asking them, okay, so what's your plan? Yeah, so what's your plan? What's your plan to write? Because if you don't have a plan, if you don't have some plan in place to to get back to, to a writing headspace, then... I'd rather not listen to you complain. Now, if somebody's close to me and they, they said, I'm hit- really harsh, but I had a friend who was in a terrible marriage. Um, it wasn't like an abusive, like physically abusive marriage, but they were wretched to one another. Um, she bitched at him. He bitched at her. She screamed. He screamed. I mean, they were just really all in water. And I don't know how they got to the point where they actually got married, but, And they stayed in this relationship for years and years and years and years. And it got to the point where none of us wanted to hear her complain about it. She had legitimately no reason whatsoever to stay in this relationship that began her freshman year of high school and lasted until she was 30. Hmm. She had this, um, what's that, what's that... um, Thing, um, the, the loss fallacy—the the, where you invested so much time in something that you don't want to give it up because it would be a waste. Oh, something sunk, yeah, but there's fallacy in it too. And she felt like she had wasted. Um, I think it's called sunk cost fallacy. She was invested in what? What was it? Sunk cost fallacy. Okay, thank you very much. Um, She'd put all this effort into this um, relationship and in this marriage and didn't want to give it up. Because, you know, she put all this time into it. But she was living this miserable life to the point where she didn't even want to have kids with this man. She's 30 years old, still in this relationship. And one day I turned to her and I said, shut up. What? We were all out to lunch and it was like, there were like 10 of us at the table. And she was bitching about this man again. I said, shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear another word about him. Unless you want to tell me. You're going to file for divorce. You've bitched about him non-stop. For a fucking decade. And I don't know about anybody else. But I'm done. I'm done. I'd have been done too. <laughs> I've been done for a while. <laughs> and there is that point. That you point with somebody in your writing life um, that they are not, that they are like, they're like a black hole Mm -hmm. or an ask hole, actually, because they're asking so much of you and giving nothing in return. Right. And honestly, sometimes the only success, the only thing in return is that they're successful, that they got something written, that they executed on what it is that you've been helping them with or whatever. It's just that they move forward. But the cycle of the same excuses over and over and, and how do I do this? Or I'm so frustrated or, you know, all these things are standing between me and writing. And usually it's the same cycle of things. And the thing is, if you're my friend and you need my support because of the crap going on in your life, that's a completely separate issue from somebody that I'm in a writer's group with who just wants to give me excuse over excuse or excuse for years and then ask for help re- resolving their issues when they never resolve any issues. And it's... They're people working like on the same project for a decade or yeah. whatever. Um, they're never getting anywhere fast. Um, and I just... I have no patience for that kind of shit. I just don't. <laughs> no. And if you're in a group... and If you're in a group and the group has devolved mostly into excuses for not writing... Um, you need to find a different group that's just that's just the truth of it unless you're the moderator or the admin you need to find a different group because it's one thing it's one thing you know it's just like a one-off here or there where like somebody says I've got some family drama going on I don't expect to write this week but I'll check back in with you guys in 10 days or something that's just giving an update to your group but when somebody comes in and it's like every day here's the reasons I'm not writing I can't find my motivation it's like this is not a support group not that way I am not your emotional support animal. We have a penguin emoji for that. (laughs) (laughs) And I've blocked it in this channel. Seriously, some people will support Animal. Yeah, they want the group to provide them basically therapy. And it's like, no, 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 baby, go. If you're the admin of a group like that, then it's your responsibility to the rest of the members to cut that shit out. Because people are going to be nice. They're going to keep engaging and saying, it's okay, it's understandable that you didn't write with all these things going on. But three months later, it's usually the same person who's got all these things going on. And then three months after that, it's the same person who's got all these things going on, and it becomes viral. And we do have social channels, right? So it's but it, it's completely different. It's one thing to go into a social channel, and go, God, my day was shit. It's nothing to go into your writing group, your productivity group, and give all the excuses for why you're not writing and ask for help for the fiftieth time with trying to find your motivation. Because no one can find that for you, and they can't give you any tips about your motivation beyond sit your ass down with your hands on the keyboard and do something, or don't. <laughs> Because honestly, it might be, you might find it refreshing. If this is you, if you're the perpetual excuse person, you might find it refreshing to just say, I don't want to write. Just own it. Just own it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say, there, there was one day, we were sprinting. I was sprinting, for, I, I was doing a long, I was doing a marathon sprint. And we had a bunch of people sprinting at that point in time, different people come in and out throughout the day. And we had one person basically in the channel all day. They didn't write a single word, but they checked in every single sprint with why they hadn't written anything that sprint. And finally, how'd you tolerate finally, that? Because I'd have been like, bitch, you need to go on. Finally, after about four hours, i it, four hours. That's eight sprints. I private messaged them and said, if you're not going to sprint, there's no need to check in. I was trying to be polite. They checked in again. I said, if you're oh. not going to sprint, don't check in. Because <laughs> it's one thing I, I missed. Like, there was one sprint I missed because it was pre-holidays, right? I'd been sprinting really diligently, and I, like, missed a sprint entirely. I was actually thinking I was running the sprint. I missed the timer because we had, like, UPS show with, like, 15 boxes. <laughs> and it was just you know, I didn't think when the door, when there's a knock on the door in the middle of the sprint that I was going to miss the end of the sprint. So I just mentioned it, but hey, guys, I missed the sprint because, you know, <laughs> sorry about that. Oh, there's a giant packet. There's a giant, I mean, literally there was a wall of boxes. He just left them and left. Wow. <laughs> I was like, fuck this shit. I've made 10 damn trips to this door. I'm done. I was like, well, if we had to evacuate the house, we'd have to go through this wall of boxes. But, you know, it's like one off the, hey guys, I missed the sprint because I was folding my laundry. I don't care. But when it's somebody checking, checking in every single sprint with why they didn't write, I'm like, oh baby, this is just, I don't know what this is, but it needs to stop. It needs to stop. What that is, is the desire to have social interaction in the wrong damn place. But it was probably the only active channel. At that time. That was continuously active. And they wanted attention. Yeah. Because most of you know I'm a late night writer. Um, And these sprints had started in the evening. And they were going well into the night. And usually by the time. If I'm writing late at night and sprinting late at night. I'm picking up people in like the Australia. Europe. um, New Zealand. Because they're getting up. Or they're later in their day. While it's like 3 a.m. for me. So. Although for New Zealand, that might be actually that it's dinner time for them. I don't know. Keeping track of the time zones is very challenging. <laughs> but it's just, it's like, so yeah, a lot of times when I am writing later in the evening, the Sprint channel is the only active one. And that so somebody is probably looking for social interaction. And it's just, and honestly, if they had just talked to people at the end of the Sprints, it probably wouldn't have been as noticeable that they weren't writing. Except that they checked in every sprint with zero words. I was doing this. Zero words. I had to do some research. Zero words. I was doing, you know, I had to do the dishes. Zero. I was like, stop it. Because this is my observation through dealing with groups in general. Not just about writing. Is when people start moving into a specific mind, a, a weird space. Like it could be any kind of behavior in a social space, like talking about politics or anything, is people pick up on it, right? And people will start to do it because it's like the seed of that has been planted. And they may not consciously intend to go to a group that doesn't really deal with politics and start talking about politics. But if a bunch of other posts about politics are there or comment threads about politics, like, you know, like we had a few times like way, way back in the M- Minion Headquarters days, where like it it wouldn't be posts about politics. The comment threads would go about politics and we wouldn't catch it. And then all of a sudden there's all these threads about politics in Minion Headquarters. And then we're wondering where are these politics why are people suddenly posting about politics? And it's because people are seeing it, so it's on their mind, right? And that's what happens in writing groups is when people start giving excuses or talking about their muses or talking about how they've lost their motivation is it, it those those seeds get planted. And if you're not, you know, I have seen people invest more time. In the backstory of their goddamn muse than they do their original character, right? <laughs> their muse, their muse has a gender. It has a species. They know what hair color it has. They know how it likes to dress. It takes its coffee. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's and they'll tell you, right? They'll tell you, and it's like their okay. fucking vacation schedule when they jerked off last. I mean, I don't fucking need this information about your imaginary friend, right? And see, <laughs> what happens is, in a you're in a writing group, particularly. Let's talk about the the group that shall not be named and people start talking about their muses. They start talking about the personality of their muses. And if you're particularly, if you are at all impressionable or new to writing, you might think you need to go and make yourself a muse. You don't stop it. (laughs) 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 Here's the thing. Here's the thing that proves this is a bullshit concept. If you have to invent all these details about your muse, your muse doesn't fucking exist. It's a dumb thing. It's a crutch. It is a crutch. It's an ex- it allows you to externalize the reasons why something is or is not working for you. And the problem with that is you get to blame your muse in, an, in, in a nice, cutesy way for you not writing. But you know what else you do? You credit your muse when you do write. And I am way too fucking selfish about my accomplishments to credit it to an imaginary friend yeah it's an excuse here's what happens you wake up one day and you don't want to write and you get online and you say oh you know my muse took a vacation there she's in vegas at a show and i'll just have to wait for her to come back because i can't write <laughs> i can't write without her she's mad at me i don't know what i did <laughs> and you think that's ridiculous right but i've actually seen a thread on a group exactly like that They've made up this whole story about how their muse went on vacation and how they're doing this, this, and this and they're ignoring their texts. I mean, it's just like, are you fucking serious? And they're investing all of this in an excuse to not write. And what I would say is you need an excuse to not write. You either write or you don't. But this excuse culture is not to be just dis- confused with participation trophy culture, <laughs> which is you know, not that they're too far apart. No, they're not. Um, is is counterintuitive. It's, it's counterintuitive. It's like um, uh, it's just it's, it's really actually really, really frustrating. Yeah, because people when you can't own what's going on with you and with your writing and your process and you externalize it and amuse You then, when you have a problem, you then have no insight into what's going on because you've, you've invested everything into this, this thing that has, that you've externalized completely. And that is not helpful to you. It's not helpful to you. I mean, if you want to do it, if you want to talk about your inspiration and you want to call it a muse. Okay. But try to keep it in check and recognize that it's bullshit. It's you. It's you. If you're having a good creativity day, it is not your muse. That is you. Ever in the history of the world has the word okay had so much judgment behind it? (laughs) And here's the thing I'm gonna judge you if you get in one of my groups or one of my channels or on my servers or on my fucking website or on Rough Trade or Quantum Bang and start talking about your muse. I'm judging the shit out of you. I'm sitting over here with my coffee judging you, judging you Mm -hmm. because it's dumb, it's real dumb. The other thing people do with muse, and this is a complete tangent, so I won't go there for very long, is they'll all blame also goes to their muse in the sense that it's like, wow, did you get that from Kira Marcos? It sure seems like it was something exactly like something she wrote. Oh, no, my muse gave that to me. Funny. Her name must be Kira. The other side of it is is they also blame their muse for things that they don't want to own. Like, if they do something silly or something offensive. Oh, Oh, my muse My characters just did what they wanted to do, and I just wrote it down. My, my, my My character went off the rails. I I saw this in an author note one day. Okay, folks, I kid you not. I know so-and-so raping so-and-so seemed out of character, but my muse told me it needed to be this way. Because I can't own the fact that they wrote rape fic. Honestly, I think um this is I try usually I'm a more of a your kink is not my kink and that's okay kind of person, but rape is not a kink. Period. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not a kink. Is she gone again? Mm, okay. Gone again. And you but it is the the whole thing about oh you know characters you know doing what they want to do and i'm just writing it down or operating that's just lack of ownership over your own creative process um and i don't have time for that i don't have time for your muse to go on vacation and i don't have time to listen to you talk about your muse going on vacation either Sometimes when you're when you're plotting, um you will put some things together in your plot in your zero draft that when you get to the point where you're writing it, you'll be like, "No. <laughs> Why did I think this was a good idea? What's wrong with me?" Notice I'm saying what's wrong with me, not what's wrong with my muse. Cuz I don't have one. That's foolish. Sometimes you do plot a penguin, or you pants a penguin. Um, But it wasn't like he didn't serve a purpose. You know, unnecessary. He had purpose. Um, I needed to kind of um, shift the emotional weight of the story. Uh, And so that's how I chose to do it. Being able to hear the character in your in your head is about characterization and um, character construction and character profiles. It has nothing to do with the character actually talking to you. If your character is talking to you in your head, I'm not saying you need psychiatric help, but you need psychiatric help. <laughs> That's a medical condition. <laughs> Because something's wrong. (laughs) But when I write. I I have to spend a lot of time with an original character mentally. To get get them in a place where I can um, comfortably write them. And that's not um, me engaging in some process with my muse. But me engaging with myself. um, Things from my toolbox to create an original character. So I know how they move, how they walk, how they sit, how they lay in a bed, how they smell, what they eat, what they hate, what they love, who they want to fuck, who they used to fuck. All these things to create an original character, put them together in my head um, equals being able to hear their voice. But it isn't me having a conversation with my characters. If I want to have a conversation with my character, I sit down and have a conversation with my character on paper. Wherein that I will ask a bunch of questions and then answer those questions in my character's POV. To help realize who they are. But it isn't the same thing as people saying that their character... um, Just decided to do what they wanted to do. And I just went along for the ride. Yeah. Or I can't control my characters. It's about agency. Right. Because you're controlling every single thing that they do. Every single thing. None of that's happening outside of your control. It's just... Maybe it wasn't your plan, and this can be like an issue, like if you sat down to plan something, but the issue becomes is when something is outside of your writing plan, it's usually because there's something that at least subconsciously you picked up on that is, you know, is not working with the direction you had. But it's worth taking a step back and figuring out what's going on. Versus blaming some external force or your characters having some life of their own. And I think you see people doing this because they don't want to own their problems. And this extends far beyond writing. It extends to um, practically, I mean, it could extend to every part of their life where they don't want to be responsible for their relationship or the choices that they've made. They don't want to be responsible for the things that they have to do at work. Just have excuse after excuse after excuse for not doing the things that they do or for doing the things that they've done. Yeah. And making a snap decision in the moment, like pantsing a penguin or whatever, um, that is not your story operating outside of your control um and just because you get a spark of creativity, Well, i made a very conscious decision about that penguin yeah and if you and even if it's a spark of creativity that occurs in the moment as opposed to when you were doing your plot document it doesn't mean it happened outside of your control you're seeing a need in your story for something and you're figuring out in the moment how to fill that need but it's not outside of your control now at the end of the day If it works for you to externalize all this stuff and to be able to blame a muse for all this stuff, and by works for you, meaning that you're productive and you're getting your writing done, okay. But I would say most of the time, people the reason why I know people have these muses and stuff um, is because they're talking about their inability to write because their muse isn't cooperating. Or they're talking about how their story is going in a weird direction. And they don't know how to control it, and they, you know, they just feel like it's gone off the rails, and it's not what they want, or you know, whatever. And the reason that becomes a stumbling block to their productivity, or why they feel like they might be struggling with something like motivation, is because they've externalized everything about their process as none of it being in their control. And, and you have to you have to recognize that you're in the driver's seat. You are not a even if you enjoy the discussion about having a muse or whatever, it's not it's not productive for anyone as a as a writer to have all their successes and failures be out of their control. You will be a better writer if you on some level acknowledge and recognize that you're the one in the driver's seat. Not your muse, not your characters, not your cat. It's you. And if that's uncomfortable for you to be in the driver's seat and recognize that your successes and failures are your responsibility and not your characters and not your muse and not your cat, if that's uncomfortable, then that's the obstacle to your writing that you need to deal with. It's not motivation, it's not inspiration. it's your inability to to be in control of your own life, your writing um and that's I get why some people would say that, you, Reaver, What I, I get what you're saying about using your muse as a shorthand. The thing is, is that kind of language encourages other people to use it in um, unproductive ways. We had a discussion in the group that should not be named once about muses. <laughs> and Kira and I both commented on this thread at varying times. About, you know, kind of that it it's detrimental to your productivity, you know, if you mean it seriously. Um, and people got militant about the existence of their muse. And that's when I started seeing these threads about the descriptions of their muse. And, you know... The, the the muse never lets them write under certain circumstances, and the muse is actually a dragon, and that the muses will burn them alive if it try if they try to, you know, go against it, and just really bizarre and healthy things. I'm not going to try to talk people out of those kinds of shenanigans. I mean, if you're that far gone, I can't help you. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying you need a psychiatrist. That you need a psychiatrist, <laughs> and I think I do think for the people who mean it casually, like it's just a shorthand for their inspiration or whatever. Um, I think that that thread probably scared the crap out of them because people who were so weird about their muse, it, it was freaky, it was bizarre. But the, those people, when they're struggling with inspiration or they're struggling with creativity. Actually, I don't know what word I just said. Did I say expiration? Whatever. You never know what's going to come out of my mouth. Um, those, when those people are struggling with inspiration or motivation or any of those things related to writing. What they're actually struggling with is how uncomfortable they are being in, in control of their own life. And they need to externalize it to something else. That's actually not healthy. And a writer's group is not going to solve that for you. A writer's group is not going to be able to solve for you your need to not be in control of your writing. We're not not here to top you, darling. No. I actually did have uh, an experience with a writer slash reader who put themselves repeatedly in a position with me where I had to verbally discipline them. And about the third time it happened, I realized he was... Gross. Well, yeah, gross, but he was also um, in a very subversive way having me top him over the internet. Yeah, that's the gross part. That's the gross part. And I was like, what the actual fuck? Because he would purposefully do things in the groups, in the Facebook groups, and um, the Ryers' Table and Facebook, where I would have to call him out in private and tell him to behave. And there came a point when i when I realized what he was doing, and I put a stop to that, and then shortly thereafter, he cussed me out on Facebook, and I banned him from every single space I have online. Well, he got consequences for his actions that he wasn't expecting and didn't feel like he could live with, and he got abusive as a result. Um. Fucker. <laughs> And I'm not editing that out either. (laughs) We never edit out fucker. Um, (laughs) So. All of this. You have to decide when you're ready for this kind of stuff. Right. Which is one of the reasons why. When we put up the announcement about the daily writers group. I put. I usually don't give people giant disclaimers up front. But I did give the caveats and disclaimers first. Because it is not for everyone. And you may think you're ready for something like that, and it's not. It's not good, bad, or indifferent. It, writing every single day is not for everyone. There are people who are very productive writers, who don't write literally every day, or even attempt to write every day. They may write four days a week. That may be their schedule. Writing every day may not be for you, and that's fine. But it's more important that you know yourself, and that if you want to get into something like that, that you that you are in control and that you know it's something that you want and that you're ready for it. Because if you're not and you jump, you know, feet first into a writing situation that you're unprepared for, it can be very demotivating. It can fuck with you, right? It's like, "Wow, I'm the only person who can't keep up." You might and that may not actually be true, but it might feel like that to you. When people come in and never be able to do it you know they were gone almost you know right away because they just were never able to like whoa this isn't what i signed up for yeah actually it was (laughs) that was this is exactly what you signed up for but it isn't like in the group we have like a required minimum there are some people their goal every day is 500 words and that is a goal i mean if you wrote say you wrote 325 year days out of the year, times five hundred. That's one hundred and sixty-two thousand words. That's two novels. We have some people actually, there we have actually quite a few. It's not one person; it's quite a few, who who their word count is two hundred. Um, and if somebody wanted to sign up at hundred words, because it's so low, I would expect somebody with a really low word count to actually be hitting that almost every day. But the point is, is these people know themselves and they're setting a goal. They feel like they can attain on a daily basis. And that's the point is you pick a goal that fits you and then try to hit it every day. Um, A thing. I do have a thing. Thank you. Um, oh, what I wanted to say is if somebody writing at 200 words a day wrote every single day, that would be seventy three thousand words and that's a novel guys that's a novel it's very doable it's like we had though we we talked we talked last year when we talked about people wanting to do the quantum bang um is that you could um we talked about you you could sign up for the quantum bang and if you wrote uh, you know like i think we said like 150 words a day for the entire year you could hit it if you started you know at, the, at that when we at that time like was, i think this was like last may you need to write like yeah. 100 or 200 words and you'd be able to participate in the 2020 quantum bang um and people don't believe that they don't think that, that those small amounts of progress um, can work more I had a question um and i i bailed to go pee um but let's answer these questions and then we'll do your thing Okay. Okay. Um, how often do you write conversations with your characters? Um, when I was younger, I did it a lot because I was really um, not confident of my ability to create original characters. I got um, often wrapped around the axle because I didn't want to end up inadvertently using somebody else's character. Um, This is where I really understood the character archetype situation and how a lot of archetypes are pretty much the same character (laughs) with different dresses. (laughs) And so um, I had a lot to learn when I was younger, but I've been writing for a very long time. So um In fact, I have my writing anniversary, I guess, basically in January. Because I started writing longhand um, shortly after I turned 12. And then I got a typewriter. um, And so 33 years. But when I first started, I, I wrote a lot of character profiles. And now my character profile is a little more succinct. But sometimes I'll add questions to the end if... I'm going to working with a character that um, is central. I, I need to have a little more depth of understanding of them. So I will write answers to, to certain questions in, in, in their POV. So on their voice. Um, how beneficial is, to under, is it to understanding of the story that you're writing? I think understanding your characters is 95% of the battle. Knowing what your character's, you know, having your GMC on point, you know, your, your goals, your motivation, and your conflict, um, that's the foundation of your character work. It's the foundation of your plot work. If you don't know what your character's goals are and what's motivating your character and what's preventing your character from getting, um, from getting to their goal, um, you got, you've got nowhere to go. And that's why you see stories fall apart. Um, They're being written in work in progress, on you know various archives, where because they don't know where their character is going, or how their character is going to get there. If I do character profiles or plot work, I definitely would count it toward my daily word count. Absolutely. I actually did some plot work on an, an an original series this week, and I counted that document towards my work. Because I wrote it. <laughs> yeah, there's some preparatory stuff I count as word count and some things I don't. Um, I wouldn't count like research stuff, probably. Yeah. But if, but if I'm zero drafting or like doing um, preliminary, if I'm doing like summary work for, I, I would count it. Absolutely. Th- those are my words. <laughs> I mean, especially if you spend 2 or 3 hours doing it. You know, don't invalidate yourself. There was a, another question. Okay. Let's get back to the right space. Oh, somebody asked about does, does anybody write poetry? Um in what context? Oh, for word count. Yeah, you can. It, poetry definitely counts. Um I would say like poetry would be like a different kind of target, right? Um Because my experience with people who write poetry is that unlike like we encourage people not to micro edit, like, you know, get uh, get those words out and then go back and and do it. So you could bang out 500 words a lot easier, perhaps just in a narrative prose type style, than you could bang out 100 words of poetry. So because I do think that like with poetry, it is about getting the exact right word in the exact right order. And you know, get the exact, the phrasing in the stanza is exactly correct, so if you want to try doing poetry you might be setting your target much smaller like at 50 or 100 words or something Or you it's might just, do it by the line Yeah, or by the line, because I do think it's just it's a different process writing poetry um, But yeah, if you want to do like a daily writing group or something, and join the group and you're, you're a poet, definitely I think we've got a blogger in the group um, So, you know what I would say is that you're whatever words you're writing, they're your words and because we're not asking people what they're writing like I'm you know, yeah, and for the most part, except for like some big successes, we generally encourage people not to actually talk too much about their specific projects because that can lead into um discussions. Well, it can lead into discussions about, oh, this isn't working. And there's other spaces for actual, are actual workspaces um, for working out problems with your projects. Um, But when people start, you know, putting up their, talking about your obstacles in your writing in this group is different than talking about your obstacles in a story. My biggest obstacle currently is um, I have a, uh, a pinched nerve in my hand. Ouch! That's a pretty big obstacle. Yeah, <laughs> I I have paid all day for the seven k I wrote yesterday. <laughs> Dude, I had to sleep with my hand brace last night. She wouldn't have been able to do that though if she hadn't had it at all. If she hadn't had her new keyboard. I agree. I agree. Your if hand, you... your hand would be claws if you would. Have, it would. It would be like one big, crypt keeper hand right now. Um, the mechanical keyboard is. Life changing. I'm mad I didn't switch earlier. Right? I wish I'd done it years ago. I probably could have shaved off years of wear and tear on my hands if by not using membrane keyboards. I mean, I would normally be at the point right now where I would be looking to replace the keyboard I'm using. Because I go through two keyboards a year, and my mechanical is almost six months old seven months old? You've had it for a little while, yeah. So, at this point, I would actually be replacing um, the rather expensive Microsoft keyboard that I preferred. And this mechanical keyboard still looks brand new. Now, while I, while I paid more for this mechanical keyboard than I did that Microsoft keyboard, I think it'll probably last five or six times longer. Yeah, but If I get two years of use out of it, I'll be happy. If I had if wrote eight hundred thousand words last year, <laughs> yeah. if I with the mechanical keyboards, even if I did, I they they usually last longer quite a, by quite a bit than a membrane keyboard. Because um, supposedly you can the actuation you can use each switch millions of strokes, right? That's a lot. Um, if I had to replace it every year, the wear and tear on my hands would make it worth it. The lack of wear and tear on my hands, that was badly phrased. Yeah. I mean, the, the difference in, um, just, uh, I had to stop wearing my false nails actually because of, um, because of keyboarding, I think I could probably put my nails back on. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I've, um, really embraced the natural nail situation I've got going on and, um. I'm learning to shape my natural nail and prevent it from snagging and tearing. So I'm really pleased with that. But I stopped wearing false nails because my nail beds were aching from from typing. And I think that with a mechanical keyboard, I wouldn't have that problem. I was putting a lot of pressure on my nail beds. Yeah. We're actually like... Are we, are we doing the thing on my time or your time? Because... Not my time. Yeah, you're, it could be, it could be, your. whenever we're done, whenever you're, we're done is fine. But, um, yeah, you know, so I think that uh, getting the right tools mentally and physically um, is really important to uh, creating a situation where you can sit down and write every day. Figuring out your process, um, what works for you creatively and what doesn't. Um, for me, a, a zero draft makes me very, very, very productive. Um, I am actually just the way through my quantum bang. And I was hovering, I think, right around 25K um, after, um, because I stopped to write rough trade, so I and I'm over sixty. I'm at I'm at um sixty seven k. So I'm thinking I'll probably finish around ninety to hundred k from from um from um, for my quantum bang. And I'm precariously close to doing that. I'll probably finish it b- um b- um before the month is over. Actually, that's awesome. Well, it's going to be a beast to um edit? So I need to finish it. <laughs> But I, I'm i not sure how much I wrote in December. We, 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 we did a thing, didn't we where, we, where we wrote it down? I just don't remember what it was. But I've probably written 40-ish, 40, 45K since, since um, December 25th-ish. That sounds about right. I mean, I the fact that I've gotten, honestly, for me... Uh, January is the best month for me usually, and then I've, and, the, and, the, and and the holidays. Once Christmas lands, it's terrible. And the fact that I've been writing every day but two since we started this has been a real achievement for me. Um, so I'm really happy with it, even though there've been more days than not that I'm somewhat under a thousand words. A lot of days I get close, um, but it's just the more you do, the more motivated you are to keep doing. But the initial thing is just sitting down and doing it. Someone called me an overachiever in the chat. And what I would say is that a decade ago, I regularly wrote five to 10,000 words a day. My current average is around 2,500, give or take the weird 7K day. (laughs) Oh, at this point in my life, I'm not really an overachiever, but I used to be. (laughs) no i'm i'm a recovering professional writer (laughs) yeah right but a lot of times the publishing industry treats you like a robot so that's not far off but i am i did um put together a four novella series um it's a science fiction series um original work that i'm actually really inspired by and excited for it sounds really cool so and I'm also looking forward to the new JD Rob book. I probably won't get much writing done that day. <laughs> but yeah. It's a four novella series. Um, it's science fiction. Um, it'll be set in the future. Uh I'm thinking novellas, twenty five K ish, maybe a little bit more. I don't know. I haven't zero draft, um, Basic summaries and like, um, I guess, what you call those uh, concepts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, concepts. I have my concepts for four novellas, and they're all kind of interconnected because they're in they're happening in the same space, so to speak. Um, in different characters, you know. So, and what's really cool about this idea is that I could expand it indefinitely. Yeah, you could. That that is really exciting. I mean, I've I have four ideas right now, but I could have fifty because it's just like it's really expansive. Kind of in the way that Signals of Atlantis was expansive. I can move around to different characters and have different stories and different situations. We've got cities, we've got ships, we've got um other operations I mean I'm just I'm really i'm I'm really excited about it I think you guys are really going to enjoy it it'll be a mixture of of it uh, so um that's also exciting um <clears throat> I think we're ready to do the thing did anybody have any questions about motivation or anything along that line before we move on yeah I'm kind of looking forward to going kind of coming home Queenie because you know, Star Trek Stargate, yeah i'm 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 very comfortable in science fiction, so it's yeah, it's it's kind of like coming home. I'm feeling pretty good about it. And it's gonna be very dirty too. so <laughs> ah, we do like we do like the the we like it filthy. It'll be filthy. there'll be some, you know intrigue, there's a murder. So I'm going to do like a suspense and then, you know, I was just like, it's just, I'm really excited about it. So, and all four ideas feel very distinct in my head, which is really cool. They seem like it. I thought, I saw a little bit of her summary. They all seem very different to me. (laughs) Are there court scenes? No, (laughs) not currently. Nessie, you you could do that. You could do a series of novellas set in courtroom. Only if I was only if it was Harry Potter. You know, know it'd be really fun to do like a relay where we put everybody on trial in Harry Potter. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Um, Yeah, because the thing about doing court scenes in Harry Potter is you can make up the procedure as opposed to researching the procedure. (sighs) We could actually have an international brouhaha. (laughs) Yes, we could. <laughs> Look at these enablers. I mean what what's the year on this? What's the year on what? The thing. The year? Yeah. What do you mean the year? Oh, this this is not an anniversary. No. It's a birthday. Sorta. Of. Will be tomorrow. Okay, but if we're ready, if if we got all the questions asked, Mm -hmm. um, let me go. I have a post. I'm going to go ahead and release. It's not the post, but it is a post. You're getting all technical on me again over there. Am I? Yeah, it's gone. It's better. It's better now. At least it was. Hello. Yep. Yep. Just a second. Okay. I don't think Minerva would go on trial. I think the R's would show up. The art O'Rs would show up to arrest her. And she'd be like. You want to do this? And they'd be like. Nope. <laughs> Continue about your day. Headmistress. We shall catch you later. <laughs> I have not seen the Harry Potter movies, but I did watch that scene in The Deathly Hallows where Snape pulls his wand and a couple of the kids like squeak and shit and, Mag- and Minerva pulls her wand and everybody like, was, oh shit. <laughs> gets the fuck out of the way. <laughs> it's like you just thought he was a threat. <clears throat> okay. Later, she gets a letter from the head of the DMLE and says, "Can you can you come in and answer a few questions?" She writes back on the bottom of it, "No," with a period, and sends it <laughs> sends it back. <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> we couldn't arrest her, and she won't come over her own. <sighs> Fuck it, it's a cold case. <laughs> Okay, here's the thing. Um, Well, I am posting a story here in about... It'll probably be in about 20 or 30 minutes. But... It is... When that story goes up, it will be... It it says in the post what that story is. Demons will be posting here in about an hour. And that story pushed me over one million words of published finished works on my website. Um, Yay! So, actually, and the thing is, when I posted, finally put Unobstructed Views on my website at the end of the year, I was at (laughs) 994,000. That's some shit. I was like, that's (laughs) just irritating. (laughs) If you'd only known. (laughs) If Unobstructed Views has been one more chapter would have pushed me over a million words on that story so i did i could have done so i could have put something else up to push me over but i really wanted um the first finished work i did for this year to be demons it's one of my favorite stories of mine and um i'm posting it for my birthday like i was a hobbit or something this art is fucking awesome i know right I meant to include that with my 2019 wrap-up because that was sent to me um, towards the end of the year. And I'd asked the artist if I could include it in my 2019 wrap-up. And part of the 2019 wrap-up getting kind of all discombobulated was I took everything related to art out of it because I hadn't had time to rebuild my art galleries. And I forgot to put back in that mention of that particular piece of art, which is gorgeous. So... Yeah, so it's my birthday for most people already. It won't be my birthday here for another two hours, but um and very soon you guys will have Demons in your inbox. Demons. I'm just need to get all the story I got this post prepped, but I have to just paste everything in. Um I have to say that when you wrote Stick Around, I thought, Oh, this is my favorite thing ever. But then <laughs> you wrote Demons and I was like I, I like <laughs> this better. Because <laughs> you'd written too. You'd, writ, stick, you'd written. Um, Send for the Man. And Stick Around. And I just like. Stick Around was like yes. This is this is everything I want. <laughs> so. Yeah. I really like. I like Stick Around better than Send for the Man. But just like a little bit. I, I It's just partially yeah. because I don't get to write Denozo as a sentinel very often. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought that that was just a lot of fun. Um, and then Demons was plotted. Um, a lot of times I don't plot the sequel the same time I plot the original story because I usually don't go into a story planning to write a sequel. Um, but with, with Stick Around, I knew I had more idea just from the beginning then I could write for that challenge. But I didn't want to not write that idea. So I it, it cut it up into a short story, a novella, and a novel. And um And then Demons was and then so when we got the challenge, which I think it was the sequel challenge, was that it? Do we have Yeah I think so. It was called I think it was the challenge called Take Two. Mm-hmm. And it was a sequel challenge. Um What the hell did I write for that? Y'all, I'm losing my mind. What did you write? I'm about to go look now. This is ridiculous. Oh, finding Atlantis. Oh, duh. <laughs> let me let me tell you a little story oh, about no. my one million words. I when I realized I was very very close to one million words. I mean, I was like eleven hundred words off, or whatever. How many words there is in? The first person fic I wrote. For what might have been. Um, is a little interlude. Um, I was that much off. Literally, it was like. And I thought. You know what. That's some bullshit. So I went and wrote. That particular story. Just to get 1 million words. But specifically to get. 1 million words. Where my 1 millionth word on my site. Was John. Because I'm I'm that kind of person. And and for those of you who are curious. My two millionth word. Published on my site. Was Harry. (laughs) You mean specifically like. I mean were you counting it down to like. Harry's line of dialogue or do you mean. It was a story a Harry Potter story. No I specifically. Counted it down to the word. And made sure that my two millionth word was Harry. Oh the word Harry. You weirdo. Because my one millionth word specifically was John, and I made sure it was. I don't even know how you figured that out. Because I was short on writing, um I'm I'm gonna come over here and find it. When I got to that almost one million, just a little bit off. Um and I was writing what might have been no. I was writing Sentinels of Atlantis, but I needed uh, so I wrote um, an interlude for what might have been, and it's the one where um, John has returned to Earth, and he enters. It's for it's the first time he sees McKay after um, coming back, and it's called. Why is my font so huge on this site? Um, I need to redo that. Good lord. Um, it's called the home front, and at that time when I was at almost at one million words, this is the, yeah, this is how extra I am. Um, I was two thousand three hundred seventy four words off one million words, and so I wrote a story that was two thousand three hundred seventy four words. <laughs> <laughs> and up. the last part, and the last sentence of that story is McKay's, and he says, "I went too." Um, he says, welcome home, John. I don't even know what to say about your freakiness. <laughs> She's just jealous. She wished she'd done it. I, I wish. I I don't know. Because the thing is, it'd be very difficult. I could get really wrapped on the axle about what counted as in the word count. So I I could drive myself absolutely bonkers trying to make sure that the conditions were, were right in every single story to be counting the words properly. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to get me going down a rabbit hole no count. I, I didn't fuck around with that um, but yeah I wrote that story specifically so I could get one million words specifically and when I got down to the end of it I was I was about I had about 10 words left and I was trying to figure out how to wrap it up and then I realized okay yeah my my, my one millionth word has to be John and so I finangled that last sentence for about an hour to get what I wanted out of it <laughs> that's from word economics baby mm-hmm. Anyways, that's my crazy i mean i have had cases where i wanted to like you know <laughs> like let's say i was five five words over a thousand words or something like that and i I should have, once I identified L-Y adverbs to take out, I should have been consistent about taking them out, but instead I stopped at taking out five of them, so it was be exactly a thousand words. I mean, I, we have to do some freaky stuff sometimes. I get you. I did a 500-word story for Harry Potter that um, the boy I'm going to marry, and I was like, okay, I, I want it to be 500 exactly, <laughs> And when I finished writing it, it was like 545 words. And so I had to go in and edit it to get it exactly at 500 words. <laughs> now, why I wanted it to be exactly 500 words, I don't know. I don't actually remember. Because you did. Because you did. Because sure I did. I'm not sure I could do the 221. But I am like oddly challenged by the bit. <laughs> One million words. Does it one does it feel weird? Does what to have put to to put out one million words of fan fiction? Does it feel weird? It does. Yeah, yeah. It because I mean, and this is on my this is on my site only. It's because um, there's. I hit that probably back in early 2017 if I counted everything I've got online in terms of like, e- like e- that, EAD. EAD and the wild hair project and and a couple other little things. But I really want to focus on like com- words I say are done. Like this is it. Mm-hmm. This is what you get. Right. Um, which is what's on my website. And um, when I realized it was getting close to a million words, I was like, wow, that it seems like a lot. And yet it's sometimes I go, I feel like I'm underperforming. (laughs) That sounds so strange. You got somebody um, who's written 900,000 words on a single project. Partially, I think because I didn't post much. I didn't post. I don't think I posted at all in um, 2000. I think I posted one thing in 2018. Um, So basically 2018, it was like nothing. Um, Yeah, life happened. And Somebody actually sent me a, s- a helpful, helpful, uh, please please note the air quotes around that, email about how I would um, not be so burdened with posting and avoiding it. If I post on AO3, it would be easier for me, for me. Um, it actually really isn't because, you know, I'd actually probably have a lot more work because on novel length stuff, I post them in bigger pieces than you would do on AO3 typically. Right. Um, and honestly, it's just, it's... <laughs> It's a wash, as far as I'm concerned, and since I've done both, I would know. But yeah, it it, there's something about hitting that million words that feels like there's a part of me. It's a very small part, and and this is probably because this has probably been put into my brain by somebody else over the years. When I look at my, actually, pretty close to three million, where I think to myself. If that was original work, I could have made a lot of money. Which is, you know, so contrary to what um, would keep me healthy and happy. But there, there is a part of me that still has that mentality of. I, I can't explain it. It's probably because you know, over the years, people, oh, are you still doing that? Still doing. I got my my internet blipped and I didn't realize I'd been cut off. Oh. So, what was it that people would have missed? You know, it's like I said that, you know, I could have made a lot of money off the words that I'd written in fan fiction if I'd written them in original, if I'd have written original fiction. Um, And so there's this um, tiny part of me that looks at my fanfiction word count and cringes because it's like, oh, God, you know, why are you wasting your time with this shit? It's back there in the back of my brain because it's been said to me a hundred million times. Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would say that writing um, fanfiction, you know, kind of retreating into fandom basically saved my life because I was killing myself. I mean stomach ulcers, high blood pressure. It just you, um, you name it. Stress was doing it to me. Stress is a beast. It is no we, joke. We do live in a, in a in an environment in America where um, people expect you to make money, make money doing doing things. You know, and it's like, well, why are you doing that if you're not making money off of it? And so that kind of thinking, um, but it's there in the back of your brain. And so looking at, you know, one million words, or two million words, precariously close to three million words, it's like, you just gotta remind, and remind myself, yeah, but that made me really happy. And you can't put a value on a, a monetary value on that. No, you really can't. But one million words is a big deal. It does, it feels like I really got, it feels like I really, it feels like an accomplishment, but it kind of crept up on me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I wasn't like counting the words down. But one day, I don't know when it was last year. At some point later in the year, I thought I'm really close to a million words. And I went and checked and I'm like, and my thought was, because, you know, I'm not so great with math. We know this. If there's not a spreadsheet involved, it ain't going to (laughs) happen. Excels my best friend. I thought, well, for starters, I thought that in my head, I thought that uh, Unobstructed Views was 10,000 words longer than it was. Mm. So I thought, oh, when I post Unobstructed Views, I'm going to go over a million words. And then I have a spreadsheet of my word counts of my finished works on my site. And I posted, and I plugged in the word count, and it was 6,000 words short. And I went, <sighs> <laughs> that's just annoying. And then I was like, you know, do I want to um do I really want to like try to force it? You know, write something real quick on the last day of the year so I can hit a, a million words in twenty nineteen? I might no, it's going to be in twenty twenty, and I already picked out had already picked out my project for posting in January. Um, and sounds like I'm just going to do it. This is your second round in fandom. Did you reach this goal the first time? Double it goal. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. Do you miss those words? No. Um. No. Not exactly. I mean, there's something very valu- invaluable about my first around in fandom, but it it had a lot of, it had a lot of object lessons and a lot of them are painful. Yeah. And, um, it was also it was a time in my life that my writing was very dark. Mm. Um. You know, we exercise our demons in our writing. It, it, we just do, and and also because of the fandom I was in, uh, I was very desensitized to um dark dark subject matter. Um, so that 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 became an issue. That became an issue for me, uh, and I needed I needed to I need to clear my headspace like desperately. So in a way, I mean, I it it's it's weird there's something kind of almost hard to deal with about divorcing yourself from some that much of your work. Um but I mean, just cuz I can't go out and claim them or I don't claim them or whatever and I don't have any like literal functional attachment to them anymore. I mean all those lessons are still there, I mean good and bad. Yeah. Good and bad. That's all still there. Um I think it's important to always learn something from everything you write. Even if it's a little something. Some of y'all could learn some dialogue mechanics, that'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you know, one of the things one of the things I learned is there was a time in my life that writing graphic torture would not have been a problem for me. I did it. I've done it, you know? Um, and when I was writing Sentry, which was the project before Demons, actually, I think, it was when I was having my little love affair with Tony and Tony being in the same story, even if they weren't in the same relationship. Um, so I'm writing that and there was a scene that I had planned to have, a, not a ton of torture, but some, there's going to be torture on screen. And that's the way I had planned it and plotted it and all that kind of, all, all those shenanigans. And I've gotten out. I'm not sensitized. I'm not, I'm not used to that anymore. And I had to, part of one of the things I've learned after all this time in um, fan fiction is you got you to gotta respect your limits. Right. And I can't do that anymore. I can't write that way anymore and i don't want to become desensitized to that kind of content anymore and i'm not making a judgment at people who like to read it but it's just it doesn't it doesn't make me happy um, so, which is why i kind of like i i hit a, i hit a wall with that scene and that story for a little bit and i had to take some stuff out and replot how that chapter was going to go because it just wasn't working for me and that's okay and that's one of the one of the things i learned was was to do that. I think being able to to not only recognize your limits and but also exercising the right to protect those create boundaries for yourself is actually really important as a writer. Um both when it comes to your craft and with your personal um limits. Um, especially when you get into a position where you're being, if you're in a situation where you are, like, being offered a contract um, for a material, but you're being, at, but you're asked to do something to the material that you find um, that could be very potentially stressful and damaging to you. Having the ability to say, no, I'm I'm not going to add a graphic uh, torture scene to this story for you, you, you weirdo. <laughs> don't call a publisher a weirdo <laughs> but you know so being able to know your limits and being able to express those limits is is really important because sometimes you'll encounter a publisher or an editor who will ask something from you um that is disturbing like i once wrote sort of a character um that was a sexual assault survivor and one of the editors for the project um asked me to write a flashback including the assault. Ugh. I have never called my agent so fast in my life. Cause when you got an agent, that's their job. <laughs> You're like, can I say hell no to this? Not just like, no. Not, not only am I saying hell no to this, but you need to call this person and tell them about themselves before I do. I don't think it would surprise any of you to know that editor was male. No, I'm not really surprised. But also there'll be times like when you'll have an editor um, or um, someone involved in the, um, create, the production of your material who tells you something that's not accurate. Um, and being able to stand up for yourself and your facts are important. So, you know, absolutely not. I'm not going to write this this way because that's not accurate. And being able to stand up for yourself... Um, and establish those boundaries is important professionally and, and personally. I think I learned a lot about those boundaries. My first go around in fandom, um, especially, learned a lot. I would like to say some lessons I wish I had learned better. Um, cause there's a couple of mistakes. I, I just dove right into again. Um, but overall, I think that I really learned about how to um, police my own boundaries, um, how to take care of myself in my writing, so that, I, so that I, so I'm doing what's good for me. I think a lot of times that um, learning to establish boundaries in a safe space, like a writer's group, will help you establish boundaries elsewhere yeah like it it goes back to the action proceeding um motivation in that if you have success doing something, um it makes it easier that <laughs> you know setting a boundary or um saying no to something or um, saying yes to something, volunteering for something or um, engaging in a new experience, opening yourself up. I think it kind of just, you know, brings it full circle. I have weirdness going on with my posts. I copy from Word, and Mm -hmm. I try to paste into WordPress. And it pastes nothing. Your buffer, no, you're on a Mac. So, try copying and pasting into another. I did that. I put it in a new Word document and didn't do anything. It's still pasting nothing. It's like there's nothing in the paste buffer. I'm gonna reboot my browser. Try that first. When in doubt, try rebooting the browser. But yeah, it's weird. You know, it's weird to think. Um, staying back on topic and not my crazy technical support issues. Um, it's weird to think that I've written a couple. You know, three or four. Well, easily published you know posted for people to consume about three million words of fan fiction or more a little bit more than that i've written a lot more than that and then when i look at professional writing as well i've probably written 10 million words at least in my life and that is such a strange thing to think about you know i'm probably Um, pretty close to that too 10 to 15 million yeah it's just when you start to think about your what you do every day and how it adds up, it gets to be astronomical. It just gets to be huge. Oh, you know, hey Az. She finally woke up from her fifteen minute nap. <laughs> Which in As land is three hours. <laughs> Time works differently over there. And I think people say, "Oh my God, you know, ten million words is a lot." It's actually um, not. We've both been writing for thirty plus years, so, yeah. and I'm not actually even including um, the notebooks that I wrote in when I was younger. Um, I think that probably, even for you, that ten million is probably a conservative estimate. Yeah, probably. You're I'm... a wordy bitch. I am wordy. <laughs> yeah, and I've, you know, I've for years writing was a big part of my work too you know Mm -hmm. honestly my creativity tended to the more writing is involved in my job often the less i had creative writing i had um which you know isn't that it just there's that's probably not that shocking i'm gonna do a thing i need to drop real quick i will be right back okay am i back you are back well, what do you know? Let's go ahead and end the podcast. Um, okay. Since we're doing this thing. We'll have to get off the air, but um, I think that we've exhausted the productivity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and did our announcements. Did our thing. Did your thing. Um, I hope this podcast was meaningful and beneficial and that you got something out of it. And um I just clicked off all the shit that you learned uh, that you're embracing action versus complaining about not having motivation. <laughs> and um, we will, I'm going to try to figure out some kind of podcast schedule um, so that things are be a little bit more predictable. I'm, I'm going to try. We'll see how it goes. Say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone.